Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It is so good to have each and every one of you. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you've tuned in uh, this morning. You've come at a really good time. If you are new, um, we're so thankful that you are here. My name is Joel Oates. I've had the privilege of being the lead pastor for a number of years now, and, and, uh, and God has been doing a whole lot. And uh, we've currently been walking through a series called Truth Be Told. And uh, if you're with us the last two weeks, uh, this series actually started on Easter because we believe that the cornerstone of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But if he did rise from the dead, then everything he said, everything he taught, everything that he ushered us into, every promise that he made, every gift that he's offered is available to us and it's true and we can base our life and eternity on it. If you were with us last week, we kind of talked about how all roads don't lead to heaven. There is one road, there is one way, and it was made by Jesus Christ himself. And, and this Truth Be Told series, let me just say this. The reason why we're doing this is because I think there's a, um, an epidemic kind of going on in, I think, the churches of America today, and I think maybe even globally. I think we have a, a really easy approach when it comes to, um, you know, offering information and identification about who we are. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and, and I go to church, and all those kinds of things. And, and there's, yes, you want to be able to do that, but if you got beyond that first layer, I wonder how many of us could have a deeper conversation about your own personal faith. See, there's something that I call and something that, uh, that I think our world and many theologians call unexamined faith. When you say that you're a Christian, that's great. Question is, is what does that mean? Can you articulate that? Can you explain that? Can you explain to someone else or anyone else exactly what your faith is and why you do believe that Christ is Lord? And, and, and so because if you live in this unexamined faith realm, two things happen. You get unverified faith or you get blind faith. And again, I'm not saying that you, you can't just walk into it, but, but Jesus, as you walk through Scripture and when you begin to study the, the apostles and the prophets and different things, God wants you to know what you believe. He wants you to understand that there is a concrete evidence that you can stand on. He wants you to ask the hard questions because you know what he knows and what I even know this morning He'll go toe-to-toe with any so-called God in, in this existence and in this world and defeat him every time. He's not afraid of being able to go against any question. So bring all your questions, bring all your doubts, bring all your concerns, because I know Jesus will satisfy. That's why we're going through this series. This is the reason why we want you to understand, truth be told, we want you to understand that there is truth, it has been told, and you can understand it and live confidently every day of your life. So, if that's true, I want to start out this morning in a word of prayer, if you'd join me this morning. Father, thank you for these incredible, incredible people this morning. God, thank you for uh, the men and women in this room, those that are online or wherever they're hearing. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just you'd show up. God, that you'd push this man out of the way from this stage and that you would take center stage. That it would be your voice heard, it would be your face that's seen, and it would be your truth that is made known this morning. Lead us, guide us, Holy Spirit, into all truth 
as you say that you do. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start out this morning giving you a couple numbers to just think about. A couple numbers. The first number I want to give you is 800,000 plus. 800,000 plus is the number of abortions that happened last year alone. 33. 33 is the number of Christians in Nigeria that were slaughtered for their faith. Just last Sunday. Six. Three children, three adults killed at a Christian school in Nashville on March 27th of this year. 57,000 is the number of people that died on February 6th in an earthquake of 7.8 in Turkey, Syria. Not only killing 57,000 plus, but also injuring 121,000 more and damaging over 4 million buildings. 32 is the number of deaths that were taken by tornadoes last year just in the United States. 145 and 50 billion were the number, 145 lives were, were taken last year because of hurricanes and $50 billion in damages. So there's a problem. There's a problem. And if you've lived any amount of time on this planet for any amount of years, you don't have to look very hard because this problem has directly affected you in some way. The problem is, is, is actually confronted and found in all of us. Um, and it's a problem that's pervasive from early on in the beginning of time to this very day and will continue to propel until a designated point in time, which we will talk about later here this morning. This problem that you and I talked about has changed the topography of even our world in so many ways. And the problem that I speak of this morning is the problem of evil. The problem of evil. Now let me say this about the problem of evil. We're not going to solve it this morning, okay? Um, the problem of evil is, uh, is a very large topic. And if you are uh, analytical and philosophical in nature, um, what we're not going to do this morning is we're not going to look at all the different types of evil, even though there are. There's a number of different types of evil. We're not going to look at the quantity of evil. This morning, we're going to look at what evil is, how evil has affected us, and what our response to this evil should, would, and could be in response to the evil that we see and engage with in this world. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 said this. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there's going to be some very difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. Sound familiar? They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel, hate, and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power 
that could make them godly. There's a problem. There's a problem. Look, evil and suffering, it's a, it, it usually brings about a lot of questions. If you've ever spent any time about evil, about suffering, about pain, and, and all the evil in this world, that kind of thing, it usually promotes a lot of different questions like, where's God, Right? I mean, where is he? Why does it seem like evil is stronger than he is sometimes? And, and, and is he even good? Why should we trust him? What can we even trust him about? But just because evil exists, as the world likes to promote, does that mean that God is the creator and author of evil? See, that... That, that's, that's the question. But then you read about a passage in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 says this. Then God looked over all he made. So creation is complete. Looked over all that he made. And he saw that it was very good. See, God's not going to step back and go, this is good when there's something that he created that is not good, so that poses a problem to us, right? So God, when he stepped back after creation, he said, it's good. It's not evil, it's good. And it's not just good, it's very good. It is very, very good. See, from this verse, you can see from the beginning that God created everything that was, and he created it good, not evil. So why, why does it seem like there is so much evil in this world? And not just some evil, it almost seems to be growing in abundance of evil. Like you, you don't have to, to do anything but other than turn on the TV, Read a newspaper, read some of the articles that are floating around, hear some of these statistics that I just rattled off. The Bible, even through the course of the Old Testament and New Testament, identifies these evils, this evil that we're talking about. So what ultimately is the problem of evil? See, the problem of evil is not a new argument, and it's more often than not the primary the primary argument that people have against the existence of God. This is what they usually come up with. And so here's the argument as originally offered by Epicurus, if you follow any uh, historical men or women in history, and it was later taken by a skeptic, David Hume, and I want to just lay it out because I want you to see it with me this morning. This is the problem of evil as laid out according to our world, and we're going to see how God would want us to respond to it. Here's the problem of evil. The first is if God exists, then he is all good and all powerful. I think we can all agree with that. If God exists, he is all good and all powerful. Number two, if he is all good, then he will want to remove evil from the world, right? So if he's all powerful and he's all good, then he'll want to take those things that evil in this world and do away with it. Number three, if he is all powerful, he can remove evil. 
It's in his power. It's in his authority to remove evil from the world. Then it goes on number four. There is evil in the world. Therefore, what they say in number five. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Or if he does, he's not all good. Or he's not all powerful. In either case, though, we can rule him as unnecessary to believe in or follow. See, we, we see all this evil. And since we see all this evil, then either he isn't powerful enough or he's not good enough. He either hates us so much that he's not willing to do it and he's really not a benevolent God, or he really doesn't have the power and authority to step in and do anything about it anyway. In either case, he's not someone worth following chasing after or believing. That is the argument when we talk about the problem of evil. But let me give you an alternative. And I think this alternative is actually a a very healthy response. See, we love to think, we love to think a number of things about evil, but I think the question that you need to ask is then, what is evil? Like, what do we mean by evil? Before we can say there's a problem with evil, we need to identify what evil is. So what is evil? See, the world would like you to think that it's a thing. I mean, if we're talking about it, I mean, is it it like this gooey black stuff, like something out of a Venom movie and kind of gets all over you and and then like consumes you and then it kind of makes you do bad things? Is Is that what evil is? Or... Could I give you a suggestion? Is it reasonable to think that actually evil is not a thing at all, but the absence of something? Or better yet, someone. See, St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, they're the ones that did a lot of heavy lifting in this area. And this is what they they said. They said that we believe that evil doesn't have a thing or a state in and of itself. It's actually the absence of something. It's the absence of actually what we call good. Let me give you an example of what I mean. See, we all know what it is to be cold. But did you know that cold is not a thing? You know what it is? There's heat. And the absence of heat... We identify as cold, but cold in and of itself is not a thing. It is the absence of heat. So as things get less hot, the energy begins to lessen. All of a sudden, there is this thing that we have, or this, this, well, it's not really a thing. It's just this identification as cold. Same thing with light and dark. See, we like to identify dark as dark and light as light, but what Dark is, is the absence of light. Light has been removed, and you're left with dark. There's donuts out there. Okay? I'm not telling you to go up and get one right now. What I'm trying to offer you is, do you ever notice? You ever picked up a donut? What's right there in the center? A donut hole. Now, we've identified that hole as a thing, but it's not really a thing. It's actually just an identifying mark of the absence of donut. Okay? 
So, so there's just no donut in the center, but we've identified it as a hole. It's not really a thing in and of itself. And so can I give you the alternative to what evil is instead of evil being a thing? I would say, and Thomas Aquinas would say, and St. Augustine would say, and even scripture would support this, that evil is actually the absence of good. The evil is the privation of good and not a thing itself. So now it leads us to the question is, well then what's good? If good is now removed, leaving Whatever this is, and identifying it as evil, then what's good? What has been removed to leave what we now call evil? This gaping hole in all of existence that we identify as evil. So glad you asked. What is good? Mark 10, absolutely. Mark 10, 18 says this. Jesus is, is talking. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now, we know Jesus is God. He rose again from the dead. But what he's trying to communicate to all humanity is, is I want you to understand in this moment that I'm trying to teach you something don't fix your eyes on humanity as being good. Fix your eyes on God, who's the only one good in all of existence. So God then equals good, and good, good is equivalent to be found in all that God is. Psalm 116.5 also says, How kind is the Lord, how good he is. So merciful this God of ours. So if God is good, then we can conclude that evil is what is left when God's removed. See, when God's removed, when God's absent, when God is no longer present in this creation, whatever is left is evil. It's evil. So we wonder why if this is true, why things are bad and getting worse all the time. You know why? It's because we continue to fight and remove God's presence from everything in our world. Why are things so bad? Things are getting worse time and time. Look at the schools. Look at the families. It's because everything about this world is trying to oust and excuse and dissolve and get rid of everything about the presence of God. And we're left with this gaping hole that we call evil. So, let me give you the next question is, is how did this all happen? How, did, how was God ushered out of, of all humanity in this world in this moment, leaving nothing but what we call evil. Well, in Genesis, you know the story. You got a, this beautiful creation that when God was done, he said it's very good. So sometime after that statement, something happened. And we know what happened. In Genesis 1.31, God said it's all good. But then God made a tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put it right dab in the middle of that garden. And Adam and Eve, who were just frolicking around and, and uh, you know, just doing their thing and naming animals and all kinds of stuff like that. And it was good and it was great and it was not shameful to be naked while doing it. I mean, it was just good, right? It's just good. Can't talk about that right. All right. Uh, but it was just a great, good, um, just utopia that we all desire to kind of sit in. And, and then all of a sudden, what happened? If you know the story, our enemy, Satan, who was a creation of God, Lucifer, he came in the form of a serpent. And this serpent came and uh, in so many ways kind of attacked Eve by causing her to doubt what God had said. Did God really say that you would die if you took that fruit? Did God really say that? And all of a sudden, what did Adam and Eve do? All of a sudden, they, said, they decided to take God out of the equation in that one moment. Let's remove God from this decision. Let's remove God from this moment in time. And I'm going to make my own decision. Do you see how all of a sudden God is now absent in this moment? And they decide because God had given them a free will. And make no mistake, it was God's desire to give man a free will so that this creation could freely love God. But that also allows for the option of that creation to reject God as well. And in this moment, that's exactly what happened. They decided to reject and remove God because God won't force himself on us and he didn't even do it in the garden. And so they decided to reject and remove God and make their own space absent of God. And that space we now call evil. And so evil was ushered into the world. Sin is the manifestation of what happens when evil is present. When evil is, is there, this gap, it plays out in our life by engaging in the sin that we do all the time. I've removed God. I've kicked God out of my life. I want to make my decision. I want to choose my own apple. I want to choose my own way. I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. Let's remove God, and I will choose how I want things to be. And in doing so, the removal, the us constantly trying to kick God out of our life, constantly kick God out of those decisions, removing him when his presence is no longer there, you're left with evil. And evil will always produce sinful things in our lives. And it will dominate sinful things. And guess what? You, I mentioned before how it feels like evil is getting greater in this world. You're absolutely right because we're fighting all the more to have our way rather than his. We don't want God's presence. We don't want him in our house. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him in our conversations. Let's remove God and we wonder why nothing but evil and sin remain. This is what is, is naturally produced when we remove the presence of God in our life. Romans 8, 20 through 21 says this. For the creation was subjected to futility. See, when we removed God out of the equation when we kicked God out of our lives and we no longer want the presence of God. We want our 
space. We want our ability to make our own decisions. We also cursed the world that we live in. So you wonder why tornadoes come about. You wonder why hurricanes and natural evils come about. Is because, because of our doing, we introduced the curse, not only on us, but this whole world as well. And there's other verses that talk about how the world groans. It moans to be back to its original form. But because of the evil and the sin and the decay that it was made subject to, not willingly. Notice the creation wasn't willing. Like, I do not want to do this. Thanks for everything. (laughs) But because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope, That the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It it longs to be made right again. Creation longs to go back to its original form, to its original design, what it was originally meant to be, which was to worship its creator. Worship its creator. So what happens when God, good, is ultimately removed. I think God's very clear in Scripture as we read this. In Genesis 6-5, what do we see? Genesis 6-5 tells us this. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. You know why? Because God wasn't present. God was, we, we didn't want him with us. Make no mistake, he's, he's in control. He's sovereign over all. We just didn't want him to be a part of anything we were doing. We chose our own way. Consistently and totally evil. Then you've got 1 Samuel 15, 18 and 19. This is Saul. This is an example of Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go completely destroy the sinners. God is giving a command to the king of Israel. The Amalekites, until they are all dead, I need you, I'm giving you an order, I'm giving you a command, and on the other side of that is blessing and hope, but you decided not to. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Because Psalm made a decision without God. He chose his own way. And so therefore, everything he did was producing what it would naturally produce, which is evil and sin. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of, of the glory of God. James 1.15 tells us, the desire when it was conceived gives birth to sin. This evil, this desire, this evil desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Yeah, this absence of God, absence which leaves evil, now produces sinful activity in our lives, which defies everything about its creator, because we now worship our creation, and we continue to wonder why things keep bringing us to a dead end. Do you know there's a reason why the first two commandments are specifically spoken the way that they are? Do you realize the first commandment is have no other gods before me? He's he's saying don't introduce 
anyone or anything else other than me into the equation because if you do, things are going to go bad. It's going to be evil. That's what's going to be produced when you have another God. And then he goes on to talk about have no graven images. Don't have an idol in front. Like in both of those cases, in the first and the second, if you, he's talking about removing his presence, kicking God out of the equation. He's going, if you're in charge and you're making that decision, you're left with evil. And evil will always produce sin, and sin will always eventually kill you and destroy you. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we're walking through. That's our problem. That's our problem. So what, ultimately, is is this all about? How did God respond to all of this? See, okay, we got a problem. And here's the problem is... We, we decided to take, take the reins of life, and we tried to douse God, and, and this problem, this problem um, is the excuse of why we see, we don't want to believe in God, and we don't want to follow God, and all that kind of stuff, but all that does is that, that continues to propel the problem, because we think that if we could just get rid of God, then we won't have a problem with evil. But what you don't understand is, is the more you fight to get rid of God, the more evil you are always going to have. You've got to have God's presence interjected back into your life and into your world in order for good to be produced. So how did God respond to the problem of evil? What was the response that brings God back into the equation? This is where we talked about it the very first week of this series. See, some 2,000 years ago, God, despite our evil, wickedness, and sinfulness, interjected himself, re-injected himself back into this world. It's called the incarnation. God became man, fully incarnate. He was 100% God and 100% man. He goes, I am going to come back in, and I will be man's substitute I will be their redeemer. I will make a way when there was no way. God goes, I see all the wickedness. I hate all the wickedness and all the evil and all the sin that comes from that. And so I will step in because I love my creation. I don't want them to live in this evil moment for eternity. I don't want them to be eternally separated from me. I long desire for my creation to be restored, to be redeemed. So Jesus, the God-man, comes in and says, I know that evil's left and you want to continue to choose your own way, which is why you can't fulfill the law. You can't fulfill the Ten Commandments no matter how much Human will you got, no matter how hard you try, you are not good enough. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. Jesus is good enough. Jesus has always been good enough. And so Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He didn't just dissolve and destroy the law. He fulfilled it on your behalf, on my behalf. He lived the perfect, sinless life. But then the consequence of sin was still 
demanded. Someone's got to die for that sin. The consequence was still there. And so Jesus goes, I'm going to do that too. (laughs) And so he stepped in and he took the full wrath of his father upon himself. And he became the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, taking his father's wrath on your behalf. And then he died. And make no mistake, he completely died. And it satisfied that payment. But it wasn't enough that he died. This is why the resurrection is so confirming. This is why our hope is so grounded. It is so founded. You can come up with all the excuses. You can come up with imaginary reasons of why Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You can say aliens took the body. I don't care. The reality is, is show me the evidence. The only evidence that points to anything true is that my Savior rose from the dead and I can stand on the rock. I can walk in this world confidently, even if I don't have the answer. You get that? You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to grad school. You don't have to be the smartest one uh, in, in the room. You can just be a faithful follower of Jesus. And it's not just blind faith, and it's not just unverified faith. It's, it's verifiable, and it's verified Because Jesus did rise from the dead, the evidence speaks to all that. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's something else. You choose not to continue to kick God out, you're going to continue to have the evil results that you still want and desire, and it's still going to lead you down that wrong path. But if you invite God back into this moment, invite God back into your life, and say, Jesus, you are Lord over all, all of a sudden, this makes sense now. Jesus re-intersected his life with ours, and he transformed it for eternity. And so the resurrection, if I can say it this way, how did he bring about good? I want to give you these things real quick. How did he bring about good? If God um, raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I have good reason to believe both that he exists and that he is unfathomably powerful. Because no one rises from the dead but God, right? We can agree with that. Number two, furthermore, if he is good enough to send his only begotten son to die on our behalf of a sinful, rebellious world, make no mistake, he loves you. If he sends his son, he loves you a lot. He is unfathomably good. So if he's powerful enough and he's good enough, number three, if God is wise enough to use what is objectively the most horrifying and apparently pointless event in human history, the unjust murder of the God-man. We thought it was meaningless at the time, but we know that it wasn't. For the salvation of the world, then it is entirely reasonable to trust he has a good enough reason for allowing the evil that we currently are in and that, and that he currently for allowing the evil that he currently doesn't. He doesn't do that. Okay, that's a typo. Sorry about that. For allowing the evil that is. God's got a bigger plan. And make no mistake, our God is going to right every wrong. Every wrong. He's powerful enough and he's good enough and he will do it. He will complete. He will finish what he started. So what is our response? Well, our response is this. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. There's a caveat. All things don't work for good for everyone. You know why? Because you still want to kick God out of the equation and live your own evil life. But for those, for those who invite 
God back into the equation, invite Christ in to be Lord of your life, Savior of your life. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You want to see a different marriage? You want to see different children? You want to see a different workplace? You want to see a different family? You want to see a different city? You want to see a different uh, cul-de-sac that you live on? You want to see a different world? Invite God's presence back into all that you're doing, all that you're saying, and you will see a different world go from evil to good. 100% of the time. And he's doing that personally in your life. Think of all the brokenness. He's the only one that can take all the junk and work it out for his good. He can take absolute tragedy and make something so beautiful out of you. Isn't that, a, isn't that just redeeming and just so, I mean, just that thought that he can take all of this and do something beautiful with you and with me. This is the good news. So I want to finish by sharing this one last these la this last conclusion, if God, if there's a problem and it's the absence of God's presence and God re-injected himself into all humanity, then it would conclude based on the problem of evil that we can, we can conclude with this. The first problem, remember, it said, if God exists, he is all good and all powerful. I would like to say on the opposite, God does exist, and he is all good, and he is all powerful. Do you remember in the first it said, if he is all good, he will want to remove evil from the world. And I will say this, since he is all good, he wants to remove the evil from the world. Number, the first, number three, if he is all powerful, then he can remove evil from the world. I would suggest since he is all powerful, he will remove evil from the world. There is evil in the world, and I would agree, there is evil in the world because we have removed a good God. Therefore, God doesn't exist, is what the problem of evil says, and he's not worthy to be falling. But I would suggest God, who is all good and all powerful, decided to reinsert himself into this world. He decided to reinject himself into life and creation by making a way where good would conquer evil. His presence would, know, would now introduce not just good, but the good news. Notice it's called good news because he's the only thing that's good. Good news to a world who is constantly fighting to remove him. In any case, we can rule him as necessary to believe in and to follow, bringing good and righteousness back into our life and into our world. Revelation 21, 3 and 5, and with this I'm done, it says this, And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Notice that. It's with you and I. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. See, God is reintroduced into all creation. And when he comes back, make no mistake, he will rule and he will reign. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall no more be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor evil. Any more for the former things that have passed. And he 
who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God reinserted himself in all creation so that he could wipe every tear, wipe away every sin, every guilt, every piece of shame in your life so that he can rule and reign. And even though we're in this in-between but not yet, make no mistake, that's the hope of glory that awaits all of his children. Question is, do you know? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed right now, your problem with evil is a problem that we all have, and we're born with it, because we kicked God out of our lives from the beginning of time. But God made a way and said, I'm going to reinsert myself back into all humanity, and I'm going to be the good that can be produced not only in this world, but in this life. And so every time I reinvite God back into my life to, for decisions and all of the above, God will produce something good. He promises to, and so I believe it, and you should believe it, but it starts right now with this very first invitation of asking God to come back in, to reestablish himself as Lord, as creator, as the good God that he is to do something with our broken, evil life that we were born into, because nothing's going to change. If you, continue, if you continue doing the same things and expect different results, we're all crazy, <laughs> But the reality is, is if we invite Christ into our life, we usher good back into our life, and then good can now be produced from us and for us. So if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it starts right now with this invitation saying, God, I need you. And you can say this prayer out loud or silently in your heart by saying this, God, Jesus, I need you. I invite you back in to save me because I'm a sinner. I've lived my own life apart from you. I've lived my own way apart from you. And you're the only thing good in all the world. So would you do something good in me? Would you save me? Would you change me? Make me whole? Make me new. I believe that you are God. You took all of your father's wrath on you for me. You died, but you also rose again for me. Thank you for bringing that good to me and to all who believe. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for these men and women God, I pray right now, God, that you would continue to usher good into our lives. And it's not found in a human construct. It's not found in a human idea. It's found in the God of the universe being invited back into our families, back into our marriages, back into our lives. God, would you radically change us with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because you not only gave us a way when there was no way, you are continuing to produce a good that we don't deserve and it's found through your son, Jesus Christ, who is the good news, the only good thing in this world. So would we live every day and for the rest of our life for that which is good and our good and, our and everything that we have, Lord Jesus, is for your glory. So we give it all back to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.